Welcome to BSD Talk number 267. It's Saturday, August 26, 2023. What follows is an interview by Michael Dexter uh, with FreeBSD developer Hans-Peter Salaski, who um, unfortunately passed away this summer in a traffic accident in Norway. Um, the audio from this original interview uh, had some issues and there had been some hopes of re-recording it in the future, but tragedy stood in the way. So, um, we wanted to clean this up and get this out to the community as our way of honoring um, this developer and great person. So here it is. This is Michael Dexter on behalf of Will Backman and BSC Talk. And today on BSC Talk, we're talking to Hans-Peter Salaski about his alternative ISDN and USB stacks for free BSC. Hans, welcome to the program. All right, thank you. Let me start by describing our recording rig today. We're both talking into ISDN telephones, which share a common base station, and that base station is plugged into a USB hub. The USB hub has what looks like the memory stick from last year's EuroBSEcon, and that's plugged into his laptop. So I understand that the laptop is running Asterisk and is demonstrating two of your software projects. Which one came first? Well, the ISDN stack came first, and... Uh... That I started doing USB because uh, the ISDN stack didn't have support for USB to ISDN adapters. And uh, that was a problem because I wanted to support those devices as well. And especially when I have a laptop, then uh, it's very convenient to be able to plug a USB mouse, they call it, into a laptop and then have a complete telephony setup. And you can have it in your bag and, for example, use it on conferences or when you're at a hotel or wherever. And uh, I like very much talking into a phone rather than a headset. I understand. So how did you first get involved with ISDN development? Well, that's a long story. And uh, I will try to make it uh, as short as possible. But it starts like this, that uh, when I was uh, 12, 13 years old, I had a friend of mine in Norway uh, which was doing QBasic. And he actually knew how to uh, make uh, textual and graphical games with QBasic. Uh, and we started cooperating, developing small, simple games. You get a question, you answer something. If you give the right answer, you go to the next level. If you give the wrong answer, you go to game end. And uh, that was very fun, but uh, I wanted something more. I wanted to be able to do more cool graphics. I wanted to be able to do sound. I wanted to be able to have the mouse, uh, being able to do things, joystick, everything. So... Uh, the problem is that uh, I had no drivers. In the old days, you had to make all the drivers yourself. And uh, I started searching on the internet for video drivers, uh, mouse drivers. I even found a professor in the U.S. that sold uh, a graphics toolkit for uh, PCs. 
and uh, I unfortunately paid a lot of money to get one of those tools kits, but it didn't work with my S3 Word uh, graphics adapter at all. So uh, I kind of quarreled with this guy. I want the money back, but no, it was too late. So uh, then I, I, I started searching for drivers, and, and by luck or by fortune, I found X11 drivers on FreeBSD, actually, and and uh, I searched around at that time. I didn't know C that well, which is the main programming language of uh, the FreeBSD kernel and X11 drivers. At that time, it was not X7.2. It was a very old version of X. And uh, I got that interested that I decided, yeah, I will download everything on my ISDN log. Floppy by floppy, distribution by distribution, all of FreeBSD. Uh, I think it was 3.4. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but it it was it was not uh, 8.0, definitely not. <laughs> so uh, I, I I I did that using ISDN, sat by the Windows 95 computer which I had installed then. I stepped there and uh, waited several hours in excitement using some kind of FTP software. And uh, in the, then I had to test all the floppies for bad sectors. And in the end, I could plug them into my 486DX233 megahertz computer with 32 megs of RAM and finally see some, some uh, FreeBSD logos uh, on the screen and in the end, login colon. And, and that started the next problem. How how do I navigate this system? Uh, I didn't have a clue about Unix systems at, at this time. And I started searching for documentation, how to use the Unix command shell. And I found some interesting PDF files. And I started learning the basic commands of Unix, like ls, cut, more, uh, Easy Edit was my first editor. Sorry, folks, I didn't start with VI. Easy Edit was my favorite, and uh, I'm still using Easy Edit, though I have learned some VI commands. And uh, then it just uh, rolled on. Uh, I wanted to use internet on my FreeBSD machine, and the problem was there was no ISDN adapter support for my ISDN adapter at FreeBSD at that time. So uh, I got involved with a guy called Helmut Michaelis from Hamburg, which had already written ISDN drivers for FreeBSD for many years. And uh, his project was called ISDN for BSD. And uh, I started going through the ISDN for BSD code. And after a long time of studying, I managed to, to scrap together my first ISDN driver for an HFC card from Cologne Chip, actually, in Germany. That's, that's the company which has published uh, documentation for the chip, which uh, not all ISDN card manufacturer does. And uh, the driver worked very good. I got the internet on my computer. I was happy, but... Sometimes the internet went down, and I had this annoying problem that the activation of the ISDN line didn't work. So I had to lift off a telephone manually, wait till I get the dial tone, and then put the receiver back, and then I could type uh, dial in the PPP uh, 
shell, which I was using. So I got actually interested in working on the rest of the ISDN system as well. And uh, I found out that, yeah, this code is not so good. It's uh, complicated. It's, uh, it's over-engineered. It, it has some bugs. Yeah, I started trying to factor it out do it the way I wanted to do it and uh, I, I spent quite a while uh, refactoring the oral ISDN protocol which is very much used on ISDN lines in Europe and uh, after some time I, I, I had a complete patch set for for this stack that made it the way I wanted to have it but uh, the, the patch set was the so-called non-incremental and was never accepted into the FreeBSD uh, I4B system. And uh, I can understand that and uh, I, I think that was a good de decision looking back at it because uh, I, I made some uh, mistakes. It was an experiment from my side, my first big C project for FreeBSD. I understand you use some clever coding techniques. Well, that depends on what you're thinking about, but uh, I very much like to use macros. And uh, I figured out that you could actually make logic with macros. So I define macro logic like this, that when something disappears, then you're false. And when something remains, then you're true. So based on that principle, false true, you can actually build a macro that can inverse the macro boolean from being uh, false to true. So, so you can have three macros. You can have yes macro that keeps the argument, no macro which removes the argument, and a not macro which inverts from yes to no and no to yes. And uh, I actually build up a, a complete comparison circuit, compiling binary uh, yes no values with another set of yes-no values and was able to represent the result in the same uh, way that when it's true, when it's equal, these two binary yes-no values are equal, then it keeps the following argument, and when it's not equal, then it removes the argument. So I used that a lot. I thought it was so genius and so smart that I used it everywhere in the code. I, I, I put made big macros with all the C code and then I had some arguments to the macros which were so-called macro boolean so I put a yes there and a no there to switch on off parts of the code and I actually just included one file and then I had a set of yes no defined and, and then it generated all of the C file and it saved me a lot of time because the problem was that I had uh, uh, 13, 14, 15 uh, a large number of ISDN cards to write drivers for because I was changing the API and the interface and uh, I could not uh, have that many edits every time I make a change to the API. So factoring out the code into this macro was a necessity actually for me to save time because when, when I cannot change something in 14 files every time I make a change. So instead I changed one macro that is included 14 times and that's it. What didn't the project team like? Well, in general, they don't like macros. That, that's the general thing. And uh, uh, then the other thing is style. Uh, I've learned that you have to style the code properly because else uh, it, it will not match the rest of the project. 
and it, it will simply be a problem to read the code also because uh, there are many different kinds of C styles, but uh, in FreeBSD they have a special man page for that, man style, and uh, I recommend people starting out there first before they try to get something into FreeBSD, which I did not do. Uh, I started out writing the code, then sending the patches, and then getting a lot of uh, hails back. Uh, you have to change the code, you have to do this, do that, and it was very heavy process. How did you get involved in USB development? Well, that's a simple story. I wanted to add support for an ISDN USB adapter, and uh, then I got involved in USB because uh, the ISDN adapter was using the USB stack. And at uh, this particular time, it was when FreeBSD was transitioning from uh, single processor architecture with interrupt levels to multiprocessor architecture with mutexes. And uh, the ISDN stack, which I had made patches for, was for this particular purpose that it was supposed to be so-called giant-free. And then I found out that if I have a giant-free ISDN stack, I also need a giant-free USB stack because uh, else I need to lock the giant lock in my own code, which was the ISDN stack. And then I started looking into the USB stack and found out it was very hard to make it giant-free without many, many patches. My first attempt was to make wrappers that uh, locked the lock of my ISDN driver before doing the callback because I, I found out that uh, if you lock the lock inside a callback then it's too late for some cases that uh, you will have the CPU in the callback and uh, it's too late to decide if uh, the structures you access in the callback have been freed or not because you need to do a ref count before you go into the callback. And that was exactly the problem that uh, old USB stack uh, didn't have any ref counting before you went into callback. So it, 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 it was, uh, you could have callbacks at the wrong time to say it like that. How does the current implementation handle the FMP related issues? The, the current implementation. Uh, has uh, implemented ref counts. So, uh, so, so you have a, a very familiar API. It's, you have three functions, basically. You can, you can start some, something, you can stop it, and you can drain it. It's actually inspired by the callout API. And uh, the, the, the solution is when you're dealing with multiple mutexes, to exploit the fact you have multiple CPUs that can do things in parallel is that you have to create new processes. And uh, in the old uh, USB stack, you, you you don't have any plan or you, uh, you, you do have some uh, processes there, but it's not really multiprocessor because, for example, you, you do callbacks directly from the interrupt handler. And that means that you block other interrupt handlers while doing USB callbacks to, to clients of the USB stack. And I've changed that so that when you get an interrupt completion from the interrupt handler, it will signal to another process that 
uh, it's ready to run the callback. So it's a significant improvement for SMP uh, machines uh, that you have now multiple processors in the USB stack. Is your software planned for inclusion in FreeBSD 8? Yes, the plan is to get it into FreeBSD 8. Actually, I'm in the middle of the, the commit process and I'm trying to fulfill as many requirements as possible. Can you quantify the performance differences from the current implementation on your own? Uh, a typical way to measure performance is to actually copy a file to a disk, a USB disk in this regard. And uh, there has been done several measurements uh, comparing my stack versus the old USB stack versus Linux. And, and the results are very coherent, so so that my stack is up to head with uh, Linux, and the old stack is some percent behind. So it, it's not uh, that significant uh, uh, improvement for mass storage, but uh, there is a significant improvement if you, for example, do USB Ethernet. Then I now have a new feature which is called uh, EO vectors, USB IO vectors, which means you can uh, queue up multiple uh, Ethernet frames and have one interrupt in the end. And uh, the problem is that the interrupt rate is the limiting factor for USB throughput. The, the host controllers will limit the interrupt rate to something like 1,000 interrupts per second for full-speed adapters and 4,000 to 8,000 interrupts per second for high-speed USB adapters. And that means you can only do one job per interrupt. And uh, that will be the limiting factor for any USB device. I have looked a little bit on how they solve this particular problem on Linux. Uh, they do a pumping mechanism there with USB. I, I've chosen not to implement it like that because I think it's uh, smarter to use uh, variable size IO vectors, which means every USB transfer can now take a paired list of length and buffer pointers, which you can queue up from for transfer. Because first of all, it has less memory overhead per uh, entry you queue up. And, and secondly, per frame interrupts is going to cause a significant CPU overhead on the system. Because when you do IO vector, you know you get one interrupt in the end. But when you do pumping like on Linux, you, you will get the frames as they complete. And, and, and you might end up with a lot of signaling because you have to do maybe one syscall for every USB frame even though you get multiple of them complete for every interrupt. But I'm not that much into Linux. I looked a little bit at it. Uh, I will admit I, I, I stole some uh, ideas how to generate device ID tables, improved it a little bit, and, uh, and that's it. Uh, Linux has not been the main inspiration. It's just the EO vector thing. It's more my own development and research. Uh, it means in practice that now you can handle isochronous the same way as book, interrupt, and control. 
uh, and it has an interesting application for control endpoints that you can now split control transactions. Control transactions are USB technical, uh, special kind of uh, transaction. You have to read some USB specs if you don't understand what it is. But uh, you can now do them in split parts. Uh, that you can't even do on Linux. So, so that means in the worst case, you have to allocate a big buffer of 64 kilobytes to do the worst case control transfer. But on FreeBSD, you can now split it into a custom buffer size, which is a factor of the maximum packet size. That's also USB technical. So the performance difference on hard drive, what percentage? Well, I would say something like 2 to 5%. Does your new stack have improvements for other USB devices, such as the ISDN adapters you mentioned, or cameras or audio interfaces? Yes, uh, I've added full support for what you call isochronous transfers. That means uh, basically a lot of web cameras, audio devices use isochronous transfers. And uh, in uh, FreeBSD uh, 5, 6, and 7, there was no high-speed or full speed through a high speed external hub support for isochronous transactions. So many use cases were not possible at all, and that's now changed. Can you describe what isochronous is and how it differs from, say, asynchronous? Yes, the isochronous transfers are so called time critical transfers. That means you have a fixed rate and you send a fixed amount of data every millisecond or every 125 microseconds, depending on if you're full speed or high speed USB. Asynchronous transfers use up the remaining uh, bandwidth on the USB bus. So, so you can say that USB-wise, so there's a hierarchy where uh, isochronous and interrupt transfers have the higher priority, and then bulk and control transfers have lower priority. And, and use up the remaining capacity on the USB bus. Do you believe this new USB stack is portable to other BSDs? Oh, yes. Uh, I've already ported it to, to NetBSD. The, the porting layer was uh, once designed for NetBSD 2 and NetBSD 3, but uh, it has not been compiled recently. But yes, I have my USB stack uh, tested on NetBSD, yes. And I think there are some efforts ongoing to, to evaluate whether they're going to follow FreeBSD to have my stack in NetBSD as well. And then it might end up in OpenBSD one day and Dragonfly. So there is some discussion going on whether it's good enough and, and stuff like that has some advantages or yeah. But I can also mention that I have ported my USB stack to, to non-BSD platforms using the so-called FreeBSD emulation layer. And uh, it, it performs very good compared to professional USB stacks, so I can say. What can you tell me about the recording setup we're using today? The recording setup we're using today is uh, quite simple. We, we have a high-gen phone. We have a USB ISGN adapter, we have an external USB hub, memory stick, and a laptop running I4B. 
USB for BSD project which I've created and uh, I tried to get it running using asterisk but again asterisk has let me down it just hung up my call although it uh, was a special case which is not so common because I was stealing all the audio to a file and I used cut I can admit that so uh, what I've done is that I'm just cutting the raw data stream directly from the phone to a file using slash dev and asterisk isn't getting any data at all so it's uh, directly from the ISDN phone to the disk and uh, it's like a dictaphone and uh, you can uh, actually do this yourself at home with the, the same equipment which I've got How do you handle the two channel? Well, the two channels are like B-Channel 1 and B-Channel 2, so each channel is a separate kernel device. So you have two instances of CAP running? Yeah, that's true. I, I have one instance for every B-Channel on the ISDN line, and a typical basic rate ISDN line, it has two B-Channels. So uh, that means I, I have first one CAP process running for B-Channel 1, and then another cut process running for B-Channel 2, and they're cutting through a small program that I wrote in some minutes today, which do the bit reverse of the data, because on the ISDN line, every byte is a sample, which is bit reversed, either A-Law or Micro-Law. How would have Asterisk worked into this? Uh, Asterisk mostly handles the signaling on the D channel, and that's another channel, that's the control channel. So that's where all the digits go, and which one you call, and all of that call control, in other words. And regarding the audio, asterisk would have forwarded the data from the one phone to the other phone, but I've just stolen the data from asterisk by cutting it to a file first. So when asterisk tries to, to get hold of the data, then it gets L, but by default it ignores that error, so uh, so it will just continue keeping the call up. Where can someone find out more about your project? Well, I have a homepage on the internet, which uh, you can find. You can also try Google. Uh, most likely, you should try Google first typing in my name, Hans-Peter Zalaski, USB, ISDN, and, and then you will find uh, things I've written on the mailing list. You will find my homepage. You, you will find out a lot about me, I think. Do you have any nicknames? Well, they, they call me HBS, and, or Hzalaski. Uh, that, that was the first email I got, and since then it's just been Hzalaski. But HPS, HPS plus USB, HPS plus ICN, that's a common uh, name. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about today? Well, I, you know, there was some things, yes, but I, I don't know if it's quite appropriate for the show, but I do have some stories uh, of when I was debugging ICN and I was using exactly the same setup uh, today, and we, you know, intercepted some, some strange calls on ISDN. Well, thanks for talking to BSD Talk. Yeah, thanks for listening in on my 
USB projects, and I hope you enjoyed listening and know a little bit more about USB and OSGen and how you can so-called do why you know do it yourself DIY, <laughs> and uh, that uh, the age doesn't matter. I was doing this when I was young, and uh, if you're listening to and you're under eighteen, yes, you can do it. Just, just ask your parents for some money and go and buy a ice gen adapter and some ice gen cables and a cutter and a soldier and, and uh, stuff like that and you'll be having conversations on the internet and thanks for having me. If you'd like to leave a comment on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com and if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 267.